Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's KJ52. Welcome to the KJ52 podcast episode. Who cares? Anyway, um, I'm here with the homie Rubox. Oh. Scotty. How do you say your last name? Posal. Posal. Really phenomenal. Phenomenal. A phenomenal. You're a phenomenal. Phenomenon. <laughs> How long have you been a phenomenon? <laughs> Somebody asked me last night who my favorite Muppet was. <laughs> and I was like, I said, I like the two guys that just yell at everybody. Oh, up those, up those in the balcony, guys. they're oh, like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, do those count as Muppets? <laughs> Is it weird that I like the haters? <laughs> anyway, we're gonna be those two guys. I can't think of their names. It's like Edgar and somebody else. Something like that. They just heckle. Yeah. Then I was like, well, my close second one it was the Swedish Chef. <laughs> I heard, heard, heard. Morky, 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 We put the mork in the schmork. <laughs> was that the Swedish Chef? Yeah. No. And then I was like, I like Beaker too. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, uh, totally not what we're gonna talk about for this podcast, but maybe maybe we just need to do a whole puppet podcast. Uh, so Scotty, aka Rubox, is is uh, a really phenomenal. I won't even necessarily call you a beatboxer. I will call you a vocal percussionist because you. I don't think you can be contained to just beatboxing because I've seen you in southern gospel groups. <laughs> Right? Right. You gone out with all acapella southern gospel groups. Yeah. And you've provided just the uh, the percussion. Mm-hmm. And didn't you get paid to be a caroler? Yes. You got you were a professional caroler. Yeah, so a lot of uh, acapella stuff, singing and also beatboxing company. Yeah, so we're actually driving to an event about an hour away. I just picked them up from the airport, so you'll hear a little navigation talk in the background but um we're heading to a an event i'm doing with the kansas state state of kansas uh i think it's department of children and families i can't remember the exact name but it's for for uh orphan kids and kids who are wards of the state and so we're going to do an event for them today which i'm really excited to do but i was like you have a unique gift that you bring to the table with vocal percussion you know i've watched you just hold a crowd's attention with nothing more than a microphone and the power of I see I, I just don't I don't know if I okay so let's there's something I have a, I'm gonna ask you some questions about beatboxing because I kind of consider beatboxing like some people say it's the fifth element of hip-hop mm-hmm. breaking DJing emceeing graffiti art yeah some people have said beatboxing is the fifth element but do you think because I, I can definitely, like, I beatboxed my own beats to myself. Like, I'm always banging out, like, rhythms and tones because I think as a rapper that's what you do. Right. But, man, I just don't know if I got the lips. Do you think it's all in the lips? <laughs> do you got to have a certain type of lip structure to beatbox properly? No, I mean... Do you think anybody can learn? You know, the, the thing... And I don't mean just learn. <laughs> I mean, like, do it on a good level. On a good... Well, I think that the, uh, the way that everyone is made is going to be different. Your facial structures, yeah. the way your your nose tonality. Um, so everyone has their own unique sound, I mean, as beatboxers. You know? Yes, but that doesn't mean it's good. That's like the, uh, you're all special. Here, everyone gets a trophy. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're good. I know you're being nice because you're, you're a good-hearted, kind person, but... <laughs> Do you think you're either born... Like, I would assume everybody can keep a beat. 
But does that necessarily mean that anyone can be a dope beatboxer? Well, I think that... Are you either... Is it nature or nurture? I think it is... Um, it's just practice. And plus, it's passion. Yeah. If, you, if you're passionate and you want to learn how to do it, then you will strive to learn anything and everything about uh, trying to obtain a skill of whether it's hitting uh, your snares and kicks harder, you know, doing triplet hi-hats, uh, doing bike, uh, tritone, bitones, whatever. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it depends. I mean, and if you have the passion to do it, you know, same thing like rapping, I mean, yes, but just passion does not equal good. Okay, I know a lot of passionate people that would love to be in the NBA, uh-huh. and they're playing rec league till they till their knees give out. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, you can certainly work past your genetics, but wouldn't you agree that some of it ha- you have to have some sort of degree of bent based on your picking your parents properly? Oh, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I I believe. You know, because I, I also DJ, so I have a lot of uh, different genres of music in my head when I'm when I'm beatboxing. So it's sure. not just, you know, I'm thinking about hip-hop, but I'm thinking about whether it's jazz, swing, pop, funk, or, you know, whatever. So I think uh, there's a lot, you know, into it, you know, because you can... You can just listen to a lot of... Right, well, drums are universal, obviously. Right. Percussion is universal. But we know that hip-hop is a very percussion-driven genre. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, when, when anyone listens to music, usually it's what, what makes your head bob, and that would be the beat over the lyrics. Right. Then if the beat's catchy, then you're like, oh, okay, now let me see what the lyrics sound like. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that what what you listen to affects, you know, what uh, what types of beats you do. You know, it's kind of like how you do production. Yeah. Well, okay, so give me an elevator pitch of beatboxing. You know what I say when I mean elevator pitch? Mm, no. Like if we were in an elevator and we're going down the elevator and I said, all right, man, by the time this elevator hits the bottom floor, I'm getting off. You gotta pitch me on what you're about in that fast. That's the elevator pitch. So give me that elevator pitch for beatboxing. First floor, second floor, drop. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. You didn't even say anything, but you said everything. Yeah. All at the same time. Yeah. Was that what you meant by pitch, or you meant like talking, like sell you? Well, that's the thing. Like, I did mean actually explain, but you actually <laughs> explained better in that. And that's a bit. I, that's a good point because it's one thing to talk about something; it's another thing to do something. Yes. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, but let's break down the science of what you just did. So. Obviously, at the at its most basic 
elements, you know, it's a kick, a kick drum, a snare drum, and a hi-hat, yes. right? Those so I've, I've heard you talk about this in a few classes I brought you into where you talk about how the letter forms the sound. Is that correct? Yeah. All right, so say that. This is a longer elevator pitch. Go. Okay. All right, well, consonants, you know, it's all about consonants because when, you, when you're when you doing a kick drum, it's usually a B, a B, 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 And then um, when you're doing snares, you know, I usually use a K, 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 and doing a hat, you're using a T, 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 or T, S, you know, so, and if you're breaking that down, you can always take the bass, the, and then you can also pitch it, same with the snare, or added some echoes with the hi hats is so you can mess with the dynamics. So once you do your your basics, then you can start filling with uh, the effects of it and the pitches of it. Um, so that's like a basics and then some. Of, yeah, it's great. Really, really. That's that. You know what? And that's so easy to think of because like I've heard you say. You know, people go, oh, I'll teach me how to beatbox. And I've heard you just say, work on those letters. The B, the K, the T. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it makes sense because, you know, that's... Uh, those are the, the basics of it. Um, but, see, the funny thing is, so you can... I, in my humble opinion, it's like someone that can have... You know, you can have a crappy drum kit. But you can still keep a good beat on a crappy drum kit. It's just the sonics and the sounds of it won't sound necessarily great. Right. So I meet people sometimes, actually I've, this has happened to me on many occasions, where I've had beatboxers, would you say, beat, is that the right term? Should yeah. I say beatboxers or vocal percussionists? Yeah, What's, I mean, I is, think, this, is it that serious, like <laughs> breakdancers don't like to be called breakdancers? They like to be called b-boys. B-boys. Well, the thing about, um, as far as the, the, the term, I mean, I... I talked with this guy um, who used to run um, Beatboxer Entertainment up in New York named Kid Lucky, and he gave me a breakdown that um, the main overall of everything is vocal, vocal percussionist, and then the hip-hop section of vocal percussion is a beatboxer, um, you know, and that's from Dougie Fresh and um, Buff. Is he, is he the first one to, to coin that term? Um, I'm not really sure who coined the term. Uh, I mean, you know, if it was Dougie Fresh or if it was Buff from the Fat Boys. But um, I want to say that, you know, it's it's just emulating a, a, a drum machine or a, what they call back in the days a, a beatbox, a, a box that makes beats. Right. Um, Is it... It, just even to pause there, I know we've like digressed by 1,300 times on this conversation, but <laughs> isn't it interesting to think that most of these things come from people that have nothing, and rather than just throwing up their hands and saying, we have nothing, we're not going to do it, they said, you know what, we can't be stopped, we're going to create our own thing. You know what I mean? We yeah. can't afford a, a drum machine, we'll make our own drum machine. Yeah. We can't afford instruments, we will string these breakbeats together and create our own instrument. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the, the, 
and the interesting thing about it is is that you know just the way that how music's styles of music come comes from and it doesn't start with anything extravagant who knows maybe the next thing in hip hop will be taking a cardboard uh, two wooden spoons and a harmonica and that may be the like the next bi- biggest thing and it's happening somewhere in Kansas or somewhere right well you know you say cardboard and I always like thought you know b-boys and cardboard breakdancers and cardboard like go synonymously together right okay. at least the era that I remember b-boying yeah. it's like you brought your cardboard out you threw it down you started getting on it and I never stopped the question to go why is that you know like why why is cardboard so synonymous with b-boying and then I heard some podcast or some interview with crazy legs and he said the place where they used to practice was next to a furniture store and they were always throwing the cardboard out the back of the furniture store. And it just happened to be because of convenience, they would grab the cardboard to make their own dance floor. You know what I'm saying? Like these things we just still go, oh, it's, we do it because that's what we do. It's like, no, it's just the easiest. Sometimes we just pick the, 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 the easiest path to travel, so right. to speak. You know what I mean? But it does make sense. Again, it's like, oh, we have no space to dance. We're going to create our own space. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's what... It's interesting for me, too, like being at this point and doing hip-hop where it's paid my bills for darn near 20 years. You know, it's a music of the youth. It's the last American music. You know what I mean? Like the last created American art form, music art form, was created by kids, so to speak. You know, for kids. And it still speaks to kids. So even me now being a grown man, it's like... Maybe I've moved out of that phase, but I find it still interesting that it still captures their, you know what I mean, it captures their heart, you know? Right. Even though they don't have any connection to the history or to the origins or they don't know that or... What in the world is that on the side of the road? <laughs> it looks like a living room. Can Built that... underground. Oh, it's an underground... They're building underground places to live. <laughs> Sorry, this is not a video podcast. You don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> That could be the next startup of the next wave. I think it's for people that think the bomb is going to drop. They're building these underground bunkers. You couldn't do that in Florida, could you? No. No. You'd be in the water table. You would hit the water. You would hit the water. It'd be like, ah, basement floods. Every there is no basements. <laughs> I always had a fear of basements. Like when I go to see my grandma's basement up in New Jersey, I would not go down there. <laughs> I remember the first time I went into a basement was in Cincinnati with my sister. Um, and it was so weird because, you know, in Florida, we're not used to having, like, things going underground. Right, and I should pause and say, you are a born and raised Orlando? Yes. Orlando, Orlandoian? Yeah. I've been there since 78. Nice. I find Orlando to be a very interesting town, too, because it's such a, it's such a cross-section of so many different types of people for Florida. Even though Florida is very diverse, I feel like Orlando's even more diverse because it's a tourist attraction. You know, wow. everybody comes there to to eat overpriced turkey legs at Disney World <laughs> <laughs> and wait in lines. I never understood the point of paying money to wait in lines. People, but people do it. I know. <laughs> I have so many people go, "Oh man, I can't wait to go to Disney." I'm like, "For what? To wait in line." To wait in line. Disney even said that he goes, "My whole structure, the way Disney World will be set up." is that you will always be anticipating the next thing. 
by waiting in line. By waiting in line. <laughs> I'm like, this makes it's a thousand degrees outside and people are just sweating to death and they're like, wee. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Um, that was a lot of divergence. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll fix it in post. Okay. No, I won't. <laughs> um, what drew you to beatboxing out of all the things that you've you know? Because like I I say for myself, you know, the first thing even as a kid, I was like seven or eight, watching somebody breakdance, I was like, oh, I want to do that. Then I was like. Oh, I want to be a DJ because a white DJ is a lot easier to be accepted. <laughs> then I was like, you know what? I'm going to give rap. No, I probably, graffiti art too, probably captured my heart. So, But I, I always tried like everything and landed on rapping. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why beatboxing? Why was that your thing? Well, I mean, I, I grew up as a break dancer uh, when I would say 82, 83. And... Um, and its popularity, um, you know, I kept doing it as long as I can, even when it kind of died out. And there's a lot of guys who were with me in middle school who did it. And then once it, it kind of like fell from, was not, no longer popular, um, you either A, started to skateboard, B, became a surfer... Or is it so funny that Florida had a surf culture and no waves? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Um, dudes walking around with Ocean Pacific on. The biggest wave we're gonna get is about a foot, unless a hurricane comes. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Um, yeah, and so uh, others became DJs, like, uh, and others like took their shot at rapping. Um, my thing, I don't know. I, I, I guess during that time, like. Um, uh, Fat Boys were big And then Dougie Fresh came out And then all of a sudden like There was a lot of groups that had Beatboxers in them um, And this is around mid mid to late 80s And I just gravitated I was just so interested In in All these beatboxers And all the way the, the sounds were made I was like wow that sounds that really sounds just like a drum um, And so you know, I, I, I started writing some raps, you know, corny little raps around that time. Um, but I think the main thing was, like, it, it kept falling, somehow it kept falling through through beatboxing. And it wasn't until, like, uh, it was, like, around 89, I was watching uh, Night at the Apollo. And um, I was watching uh, some beatboxer. Uh, and he was amazing and it got me more interested to like you know and and this is when beatboxing kind of died out in the mainstream um but i saw that and i was like i got excited again so i was like you know what i want i want to be like that guy and learn how to make you know drum noises and rhythms with my mouth so you feel like uh the roots brought that back a little bit when you know mid to late 90s with Razel, yeah. do you feel like that kind of brought like a second renaissance to it, maybe a little bit? Oh yes, big time. I mean, that was that even made it more so because uh, I think after that night of the Apollo, I don't know who the beatboxer was, but um, it wasn't until like I heard uh, this uh, this tape. Tim Tim Westwood uh, does this uh, hip hop show, and they had they had um, Razel on it with. I think it was RZA and someone else, 
and it just totally blew my mind like him doing it live I'm like oh my gosh this is like taking it up another level yeah yeah um cause I can definitely remember the era where I was really cutting my teeth say early to mid to late 90s like when ciphering which you know for those who know what ciphering is where dudes would circle up and it was very common like post show mid show after the show if there was any group of rappers they were going to circle up and rhyme and usually you had to come off the head you had to you know make it up on the spot dudes that came into the circle with a written usually got laughed out or kind of looked down upon but definitely I remember that era there was always somebody that got yanked in to do the beatbox (laughs) you know what I mean I always kind of at some point we started to feel bad for him because at some point it was like whack rapper number one whack rapper number two whack rapper number three good rapper number four whack rapper number five what you know what I mean like and these guys are just stuck there because nobody was going to rhyme acapella you know what I mean no one was going to you didn't, you know, it right. just was not the thing. So, like, you had to have your one guy in your crew that could beatbox. So, for me, fortunately, Golden Child could beatbox. Ah. So, like, that was always, like, a good thing. So, if I always was, like, when he wanted to rhyme and I had to take over the beatbox, I was always a little bit, like, okay, let's speed it up because I really don't feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, for me, it wasn't about timing. Like, I always had good timing. It uh-huh. was just I didn't have great sounds, you know. Uh-huh. Like, you'd feel the energy dip. Right. But, anyway... Do you feel like that era was a sort of a golden age era for beatboxing? Oh, like 90s? Yeah. Yes. Well, the thing is, is that the, man, um, because there was that gap between uh, 89, 90, which I really loved, but then it went into this whole weird shift, um, like where where breakdancing died out, but then you had like the, the new school hip-hop dancing which is like the running man and right which i would say i participated heavily in that era (laughs) proud to say thank you but anyway right so you had that but but then you still had you still had break dancers who were still killing it who refused to stop kept doing it until the next wave in the 90s came and when people it, it it got its popularity back but in an underground wave and these guys who were still break dancing were like oh we never quit you know, and I think this is the same thing with DJing uh, in the in the '90s. Like how that was such a golden time because the era of scratching and, and having DJs went all the way up. But then it kind of kind of stopped. But then like you would see groups like Invisible Scratch Pickles and right. the era the era of the battle DJ became yes. a thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny as like pretty much about the whole '90s. Like the era of competition seemed like at its highest level. You know what I mean? Right. And I'll never forget, like, watching some early 90s video and they had a breakdancer in it. And I just was hating, like, why is this old school breakdancer in this freaking video? Like, nobody breakdances anymore. And I'll never forget somebody goes, yeah, they do. I'm like, no, they don't. All the breakdancers I know are gone. They're like, not on the West Coast. I'm like, what? I'm like, they're like, yep, it's still around. And it's funny how everything does evolutionize into something else. You know? Yeah. But anyway, flash forward. This is some old man get off my porch talk. Um, but flashing <laughs> forward, I noticed right around the era when dubstep was super popular, uh-huh. this new resurgence of kids that wanted to do dubstep beatboxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, like, these 
and I don't mean this derogatory, but these suburban white kids were like, yo, man, let me beatbox for you. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, is that all you can do? Like, and I got a little, on one hand, I'm like, oh, it's cool that it's coming back and being reappreciated, but on the other hand, I'm like, you can't just sound like robots fighting each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, bring this all to a, a finality. Here's the one thing I had to say. So, right around that era, inevitably, you know, and I think I probably became known as, like, the guy that would freestyle at his shows. Way past when people were doing that anymore. You know, I kept that going. Uh-huh. To where it was, like, where it, freestyling, for me, was, like, it was a skill set that every MC had to have. Sooner or later, it died out, and I just kept going with it. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, I'm the last man standing out here. Like, nobody does this anymore. So now I'm in a new era with a new group of kids that have not come up with it. That all of a sudden, it's like, I've got, like, a new... You know, this stands out. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I might freestyle my show for this little thing or that little thing. And then, inevitably, somebody always came up to me at the end of the show... And they would say, yo, man, would you freestyle to my beatbox? And I was so cringy when I heard that. Because usually it was not good. You know what I mean? Right. Like, these kids would be so excited to have me freestyle to their beatbox. And maybe they had some of the sounds down. But their timing was so bad. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they could not keep a beat. And everything about what I do is about... Timing. Timing. Right. You know? That's why if anybody used to ask me, they'd be like, oh, man, freestyle for me. I'm like, I don't I don't freestyle acapella. I need a beat. Like, I need... Right. So I'd either pull a beat up on my phone uh-huh. or I'd make them clap or snap the fingers or something. <laughs> and I used to be like... You just, I, I don't know, it used to irritate me because uh-huh. I'm like, I get it, you're a kid, you're excited, you want to learn something new and you're excited about it. Dude, you got to like at least have the basics. Like you got to be able to keep time. Oh, yeah. Because that's the thing I started noticing was it wasn't really about being a percussionist. Mm-hmm. It was just about showing out. Right. And that's inevitably the guys that just wanted them themselves to be the focus. They were never that good. Right. It was the quiet ones, like you, who I never <laughs> even knew did anything, that never never walked in like, I'm the man! You know, that always had the best timing. They knew how to, like, they, they knew how to be like, I got to play the back. It's not about me. Right. Unless it is the time where it is about me, but... Right. Did you find the same thing around that same time? Well, you know, the thing about, like, what I was doing, like, when I started getting more heavily into beatboxing and I think it was because um, I was in a group called Andromeda and we had a scratch DJ um, and then we had a, um, you know an MC um, and we had we had some break dancers too but when they asked me to uh, the, the DJ his name was SPS he, he, he now DJs for his group called Black Violin but um, he was a competitive DJ, uh, competitive scratch DJ um, and he, he asked me to, um, you know, he wanted to introduce me to this guy who MCs and I showed up to, at his apartment and 
you know, he wanted to hear me beatbox, I beatbox, and then he um, decided to, you know, to rhyme, and he really liked me, and he was like, he, he was like, hey man, I, w I would love for you to do like a beatbox, like, showcase, I want to showcase you, and I remember I was kind of like nervous, but, but then I was kind of like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this because, you know, since I, I listen to a lot of mixtapes, I was kind of like, I'm going to format my whole beatboxing around, like, like a mixtape. So it's going to have these different songs, and they're all going to interweave with each other, and everyone's going to recognize them, and it's, you know, you get your classics. Um, but then, like, after the group broke up, then the DJ, he was like, well, I'm going to continue battling. You should continue to do what you do. So I started hitting up open mics. Um, and I would go and hit up open mics, and um, I, I was like, I wonder what it would be like to do this with a group that is a non-hip-hop group, like a non-hip-hop audience, and I, I can get the same reaction. So I would do stuff, and you know, I would probably do 10, 10 minutes of just straight beatboxing, just freestyling, um, and then... I would notice, like, uh, there were other musicians, you know, singer-songwriter, guitar players, because, you know, usually when you go to open mics, it's just, like, acoustic guitar stuff. So they would say, oh, this is a, uh, a song I did, um, and then they would do that for two minutes, and then they would do other stuff, and I was like, I wonder if, what, what would happen if I just broke down my ten minutes into, like, three-minute segments and just, say, label you know, my routines, and just make something, but kind of, you know, fit, fit them to what the title would be, so I would start doing, like, these routines, and the, uh, um, the, when I would get a big response from a certain routine, I would formulate those best parts of those routines, and put those into a super routine, and then, um, when I did that, um, I would also get, like, other musicians who would watch me, like, yo, I would love to jam with you. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, sure. So I would end up jamming with, and this became, like, other, like, acoustic guitars. And then all of a sudden, like, I started being thrown into, like, uh, some, um, some uh, jazz groups and then some rock groups and then a tap dancer and then a poet and then a rapper and then... You know, all these... And then I would note... I would observe other musicians and watch and seeing how bands work and seeing how, how you know, just get... Learn the science of, of your part as a, as a rhythm section, as a, as a drummer. Um, and then I would learn that, you know, when you're, when you're getting in the mix with... When, when you're accompanying other people, you kind of take the back. And you have to just let them do their thing, and you just keep the rhythm, and you do it to the best ability. Don't you don't solo or do do anything, nothing to show off, until they give you your time to do that. Have you seen that video where it's the church drummer, and, oh. and they're playing? What, I forget what the song is. Twirling his sticks and stuff. No, it's not just that, but it's the one where it's it's the church drummer, and they're playing they're playing some slow worship song, and he's just hitting like a thousand drum fills, and he's playing like. Trup, triple time. Oh yes, I did see that. And it's like, <laughs> God of wonders beyond our galaxy. 
And no one is paying attention. Like, no one is like, well, Tommy's at it again. Everyone's like, no, this is normal. And <laughs> that brings... It's what he does. <laughs> but the best thing was like on an electronic drum kit. Anyway, that when you say about learning how to play your role, that's the first thing I thought of. Right. It was like the drummer that feels like he has to do 700 drum fills and right. 300 crashes and stand up some points to the stick at the crowd. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, I, w- I would learn... How to, you know, I would observe drummers, a lot of drummers. I would, uh, you know, whether it's a rock drummer like um, Neil Peart of Rush or Ringo Starr of the Beatles or, you know, some jazz drummers, but just observing and listening how they play, you know, learning different fills and then, you know, learning how to just be, be an accompaniment. Yeah. And that's like, you know, learning to be on the one all the time. Um, and then also like and then when it's your time to like you know as I'm doing this I'm also learning how to to just being a solo beatboxer vocal percussionist um, where I can do different genres and and, you know be more showcasey but you know until you know that point that's that's when like I would start doing we we had this thing called the ozone cipher um, this is around 2005 where um, they would a whole bunch of uh, uh, MCs would would meet downtown Orlando and meet me and this other kid Chaz who'd be the beatboxers and then we would go for like two hours straight and um, and I would learn how to just you know not go full force right. <laughs> during the whole entire thing because you're just going to get burned out so I have a question. So you've you've kind of maneuvered in a lot of different worlds, obviously. Yeah. Church world, mainstream hip hop world, uh-huh. southern gospel world, uh-huh. caroling world. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you've done the Austin's Coffee House for years, right? Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen some really phenomenal freestyle guys come through. Yes. That you provided uh-huh. beats for. Um, can you name a couple incidents or guys that? You were like, yo, these guys are good, but this guy was on, like, some genius level. Uh, who, who, who have you... Like, I mean, you know, I mean, because I could see you... Obviously, you would get... At some point, you got to get... Not jaded, but get used to a certain level of output. Like, who have you been, like, blown away with? As far as freestyle? As far as freestyle MCs. Like, guys that were, you were rocking with, providing beats for. Okay. Um, I would definitely say, like... Like Isaac and Jordan of, of Free Daps, those guys. Yeah, for those that don't know who he's talking about, um, Isaac and Jordan were two of the guys that were a part of our Guinness World Record attempt. And when we set that, by the way, which Rubox provided a lot of beats for, um, they went, I, I saw them go on from that to really monopolizing this world of like street art, street freestyle improv, but as a legit job. Because they got employed by Disney, and then they got employed by Universal, and then they got to the point where they were just employing other people because they had such a demand, right? Right. And but they've also operated in the battle world, uh, the mainstream. You know, uh, what's what's the what's the battle uh, battle league out of Orlando? Oh, that's um, Grind Time. Yes. Yes. Grind time. So, okay, continue. So, I'm just giving people context so they know who. So, and these guys are both believers, too. Yeah. So, anyway, continue. Um, this other guy named 
Matt Ills, who who was the uh, the founder of, of Grind Time. Um, him, um, let me see. Oh, uh, this guy named <laughs> Gumfounded. He lives on on the West Coast because I met him through. Uh, I did a, a talent showcase. Um, it was like this Korean talent showcase in Atlanta, and they also did it over in um, in California. And they asked me to to perform at the Ford Amphitheater, and I, that's when I met Dumbfounded. He's this phenomenal Korean uh, MC freestyler. Um, him, I was thoroughly impressed with him. And then um, let me see who else. Just out of, out of curiosity, like what made those guys so great? Like, what about them that was, like, really impressive? Uh, it was just their their way of, of freestyling, of talking about things that were around them. And you can tell that, you know, and they would inject a lot of, um, you know, it's either puns or right. um, a lot of... Um, it's like not symbolism. Get my yeah, simile, like her yeah, ass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That and then their their cadences were just like really on point. Um, and they played. They had a playful thing about them. Like it was very second nature to them. And um, it was just because some usually like when I'm beatboxing, I'm just focusing on on how I'm beatboxing. And switching up beats, but when I find that one MC who who is like, I I'm focusing on my beats, but then I hear I hear the crowd, and I'm like, wait a minute, okay, so I'm, I'm now I'm listening to what they're actually doing, and then I start then I can play around my beats to what they're doing and accent like their their punchlines or their lines that they're putting out, because um, I think it's one thing for you know, to be a beatboxer, but it's another thing to really listen to what the the MC is saying or what the, yeah. you know, music That's That's like a great drummer and a great lead singer. Yes. But in the moment. Right. Yeah. Right. Just that spontaneous creation. Yeah. Creativity, you know. Yeah. Um, on another random side note, I can't remember how this came up in conversation. I think because I said I was filming at Annie's in Cincinnati Oh my gosh, what? Did I tell you about this? No. Well, I went there to Scribble Jam in 02. What? And lost. Okay. I never told you this story? No. I thought we talked about this. I didn't know you got to Scribble Jam. I was the first Christian hip-hop MC to battle at Scribble Jam. Okay. In 02, I think. And I lost in the first round. Okay. <laughs> so I was there like a couple months ago to talk at the same spot to kind of talk about how, you know, even in your losses can be a win. And it's on what you do with it. Da, da 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 da. I feel like you and I talked about this, and you said you were there at the infamous '97 Scribble Jam. Yes. That Eminem lost to Juice. Yes. So for those that don't know what that is, that was a very infamous battle that Eminem had not been signed to Dre yet, but was just about to be in a couple months. And at the time, Juice was like, the, and still, in my humble opinion, is the preeminent off-the-top freestyle MC. But back then he was, I think, right. at least it seemed like he was, or at least on the come-up. Yeah. And um, they battled all the way to the last round. And you told me there was barely anybody there, right? 
Oh no! Like there was, it was a lot of people. Oh, there. there was a lot of people there in '97. Yeah, okay. It, it was just. Uh, I remember when um, it got to the finals, and <laughs> people were just like so, like hyped because like they were just overtopping each other, and I think you know out of uh, you only get like I guess it's the best out of three, but then like they would get the audience. Uh, you know, uh, the audience is a judge. You know, who whoever had the most crowd response. Oh, so the win was on audience applause. Yeah, I didn't know that. And then I think it was part judge and part audience. Part response. judge, okay, because that's how it was. No, when I did it, it was just judge. There was no audience. Okay. Maybe yeah. they changed that over the years, but yeah. Okay. But I think um, when <laughs> they when they did the audience thing, like everyone would say, you know, rematch, rematch. And then they would do another round, and then they would say, you know, who do you think won? Everyone's like, rematch, rematch. <laughs> and I think they won like five or six rounds. For Juice and Eminem, or yeah. just period? That was just what was happening? Uh, I guess for both. Really? Like, and then finally, you know, they, I guess they, they, they picked uh, Juice. Well, it's funny, if you watch that footage, which I've watched it a couple times, you can kind of see that M has a couple, you know, he has a lot of go-to punchlines. Uh-huh. And then you could tell when he goes into freestyling because he can't be as, like, multi-syllable, super right. intricate. And uh-huh. you can kind of tell where Juice was just, like, all freestyle. I'm sure he had some go-to punchlines, but he was so he was so fluidic with it. And he's so laid back, you know, mm-hmm. that you saw that he never ran out of gas. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Where you could see... I, when I watched the video... You know, you can kind of see where M's starting to, you know, he's getting tripped up on himself a little bit. Like, he tries to do a, a punchline based on Juice's name, right. and it kind of fell flat. And then I felt like, you know, Juice, Juice is like the killer, you know, finish him, <laughs> death blow, where he goes, uh, why do you call yourself Eminem like there's two of you? Or, like, there's more than one. No, he goes, why are you calling... Something like, why are you calling yourself Eminem? Like, there's more than one of you. I ain't scared of none of you. <laughs> I'm not even quoting it properly. But it was just like... <laughs> perfect. Right. You know, it was that moment where you could just tell, like, he... But it was two guys really definitely at the top of their game. But... I think the thing with Juice is that his stuff was just so on point that everyone says, oh, it was written. But it was, like, freestyling, but that was the thing it was like a, a lot of people could not believe that you could freestyle so well that it was you know that right. it, they, they were like oh they have to be written right because inevitably 99.9% of all freestylers are going to use their clutch phrase or they're gonna trip over something or you know and that's just what happens when you're like formulating it in the moment you know what I mean that's just it's just inevitable something is gonna fall flat or it's just not gonna be as fluidic and that's the thing about Juice is he was just, they just never saw that. Like, you never saw a moment where he, you know, and it, I'm assuming, and I would have to assume that he had go-to punchlines, but it was so effortless in his shifting of his brain right. that you never saw, you know. And and the biggest thing I think that, and this is where I got to give Jordan and, and, uh, and Isaac props, is to freestyle multi-syllable is infinitely harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, 
I see the word here. It says food exit. Well, I cruise, cruise. I cruise blessed it on a food on a food exit. You're with your grooves necklace <laughs> on my cruise checklist or something like that. Like none of that makes sense, but it technically kind of rhymes. But to be able to rhyme like that and make it make sense, you know, like that's just a whole nother. Where you're, because most, you know, most freestylers are like, I saw the cat, and then he grabbed a bat, he sat on a mat, and I was that, you know, do 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 do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. it requires less brain capacity, you know. But I feel like the younger, like guys like Isaac and and Jordan, I felt like they were Eminem. You know, they came up under an Eminem era where you were, especially white kids, were definitely pushed to be multi-syllable. Right. You know what I mean? So they came up learning how to freestyle multi-syllable. And it pushed me to like go, oh, I gotta push it up, you know, I gotta step it up a little bit, but. Well, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Uh, on a, on a free- You're interviewing me now. Yeah, interview- okay, go ahead. On a, on a freestyle uh, topic of like, what's the point of trying to get words that rhyme to the next level of you know, making them make sense in a freestyle. Like, when you did it, how long did it take you to get to that? Because I'm sure you hit a peak when you're like, okay, okay, I can rhyme any words, but you know, they sometimes they don't make sense. Right. But when do you get to that level? Like, how long did it take you? You know, it's weird. I I can remember even before I was a Christian. This is, makes no sense, but I can remember. Way, you know, right when I just got enraptured by hip hop, like I was fascinated by freestyling because I used to watch real MTV raps, and there would always be a section where someone would come off the head on real MTV raps, and I'm like, "Yo, how do they do that?" Right? <laughs> so it made me go like, "I want to be able to do that," and I never could really get good or even coherent at it. And I'll never forget, like, randomly one summer up in Michigan, and I used to work as a bottle boy. And I would have to stack all the liquor inside the freezer, uh-huh. and I'd just be in there freezing. And for some reason, I don't know why I did this. I started freestyling about God. I don't know why I would do that because uh-huh. it made no sense. And for some reason, the words started coming together. Uh-huh. Nothing like prolific or long, but I just remember thinking, "That's weird. Uh-huh. Why would that happen? Like, God's not even on my mind." Like you know. Uh-huh. Flash forward a couple years later, when I get saved, I'm not even really messing with it. You know, you any kid like that messing around with rap will mess around freestyling. It wasn't until I got with Golden Child, where he was like a kid, like he was 13, uh-huh. and I would have been 20 maybe or 19, and he could come off the head like legitimately at 13, 14 years old. And I thought, well, crap, I'm not gonna let this 13 year old kid <laughs> like one up me. I'm supposed to be the one with all of it together, right? So that actually was how we used to bond. Like, I would pick him up, we would put on beats, and then it just sort of became this sort of, like, healthy competition. Right. Then it turned into, you know, a year or two later, we're a group. We would just, like, at our shows, we would just start... We would just we would just put beats on. That way, that was our show. Huh. We'd have a hook, but we were making up the songs on the spot. Wow. Live. Nice. Now I don't think they were anything great, uh-huh. but it was enough that we had a give and take. That were like, if I was starting to like run out, he would jump in, and if he was starting to run up, I would jump in. 
So I think that's where maybe I started to be able to at least like, it, I think most of it was just confidence. Like, I don't know if there was any moment. I think what happened just over time is confidence. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be like, uh, when I first started running, I could only run a mile. Right. Three years later, I can run two miles. Huh. Four years later, I can run five miles. Ten years later, I can run 20 miles. You know, at some point you, read a point, you reach a point where it's like, I can run more than I need to actually run. <clears throat> and that's when you're like, now it's just fun. Now I can work on how I run, speed at which I run. Right. I realize that I'm not the same kind of runner that he is, and I should stop trying to be that kind of runner. That was the other thing, too, for me. Like, I became to the point where I was like, you know what? I would watch guys that were more lyrical in their freestyles, or they were more compound words. But they always lost the crowd. Oh. And that that's when I'm like, you know what? You are too good for the people that are listening. And that's when I said, I'm not going to try to be at that level because that level is not effective for what I do. Right. That's when I started simplifying everything. And I realized, like, in a way I dumbed down, you know? Uh-huh. But I'm like, but I'm way more effective now. Hmm. Once I started doing that that I feel like is when I started to really find my own so I don't consider myself the most prolific freestyler or like the top 10 or any of that right but you put me in my element and it's another tool in my tool belt and that's all I ever looked at it as you know whereas before I was like no I gotta be the best I gotta be this 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 and this and that's when I watched guys like Juice and Supernatural when they battled I felt Juice was a better freestyler, but Supernat won the battle. Because right. he played to the crowd. And I said, that's the two schools of freestyling. You know? Right. And I was like, I'm going to pick the one that plays to the crowd. Because at my nature, that's where my default setting is. Right. I like goats. Oh, gosh. It's baby goats, long side of the road. Bad. Bad. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... Yeah, I think it's like the drummer that's like the drummer's drummer versus like the guy that just keeps a beat. Yeah. You know? Well, that's like Rico Starr. Yeah. It's like he wasn't the best drummer, but he was the best drummer for the Beatles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was always like, my default setting is always the people. Uh-huh. Like, I think, and that was more than even just my freestyle. And that was just my music. Like, once I got to the point where I said, I want to make music for the average person. Once I, that became my target thing, I built everything around it. So, and I, and you know, and you lose something when you do that. You lose some critical acclaim or, but I was like, critics don't pay the bills. <laughs> People pay the bills. It's true. <clears throat> anyway, good place to end. Great talk. Uh, where can they check you out if they want to hear more of your stuff? Uh, Rubox Cube. Um, if you have Facebook. And, um, is it cubes? C U B E D. C C U B E. Okay, Rubox Cube. R U B O X C U B E. Right. Dot com. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh wait, that's a uh, that's on Facebook. Uh, Rubox Music. That's where my uh, blog is. Um, and I haven't blogged in a while, but uh, I'm gonna start posting some stuff. Stop lying. <laughs> If you ever want to make him your friend, bring him a plate of mangoes. I found out like that was like his. Yes. That's like his Scooby snack treat. Uh, Rubox music. 
Facebook.com. Um, if you have Instagram, Brewbox Music. Yeah. Word. All right, well, we are almost there. All right, y'all. KJ52 Podcast. God bless y'all. Peace. Later.